Well, I, my, it doesn't sound like anything crazy has started happening outside yet. Maybe it will, or maybe it'll be like, I'm trying to remember what years it was. It was probably like 98, 99, and I can't remember which news anchor, but I, I feel like the, it was back when we still like watched nightly news um, or some version of it, and it, every now and again they'd have like Stormwatch, 1998. Like in like all of these or El Nino this or that and it's like nothing. Uh, I hope that uh, well I don't hope it's kind of like that. Um, but I, I you know we're hoping and praying for no destruction, uh, plenty of rain would be welcome, no flooding, all of those things. If for some reason you find yourselves in a spot where uh, you're in a pinch or you need help, call nine one one. I'm not good at saving you from that situation. Um, <laughs> But if you find yourself, for some reason, if something like gets washed out at your house or if there's a, something and you need help, feel free to reach out to our elders. We'd love, we just want to make sure that you know that you don't have to engage with this alone. Another plug for community group, if you had a community group, they would also be great ones to come and help out. So, uh, but we're grateful to be uh, finishing up our series in Romans this morning uh, if you were with us last week, we had church in the park at Valley Lindo, and it was a blast. It was so much fun. We had a great time. I'm still probably a little sore from playing volleyball. Um, but I think one of the things that I loved so much uh, was being encouraged by the Apostle Paul and Eric uh, as he taught through uh, the first 16 verses of Romans 16. And really, he had the big idea. Anybody remember the big idea from last week? Yes, ministry for all, or everyone for ministry, ministry for everyone, everyone for ministry, or flip-flop. Did the order matter, Eric? Okay. Uh, But I absolutely loved it. I was stirred, I was encouraged, I was reminded that every single one of us play a vital role in the kingdom of God moving forward, that uh, though... I get up here and teach on a regular basis. I am not the only one who is involved in being a minister for the kingdom of God here in the city in which we live. And I'm so grateful that we're a part of a church family that wants to challenge, encourage, and help equip us to be released to be ministers in the places in which we live, work, and play. And so I was really grateful for that. We're going to see a little bit more of that this morning. Uh, We're also going to see... a little of, and this always makes me kind of happy when I see this because I can be guilty of this, but Romans probably of all of Paul's letters is like one of the weirdest closings. He definitely does a pastoral fake close. Like in many ways, the book kind of ends in verse 16, like in greet each other with a holy, like that would fit in Paul's normal theme of like how to close off a letter. Uh, what he does next is a little bit of like, and before I close, let me, um, let me tell you this one thing. And, uh, and then he gives another, like, oh, and I, maybe I forgot, like, these people would like to greet you as well. And then a doxology at the end. And so I appreciate it because sometimes as I'm wrapping things up, I'm like, oh, and by the way, I'd like to remind you of this thing. And, and it's encouraging to see that from Paul. <laughs> I am not alone. And I don't blame him either. After writing such an incredible treaty so far in this letter of essential doctrine for the church in Rome, a church that he's never visited yet, really a group of Christians that he's only hearing testimony about, 
And yet he's written this incredible letter that to this day carries the most significant essential doctrine of the church. And honestly, thinking about how to close a letter like this, I don't know if you guys ever, like, like how do I end? Like, how do I, <laughs> how do you end this? Like, I, I, that caused me, like, low-grade anxiety just thinking about trying to think of how to end the book of Romans. And so I'm grateful for how Paul closes it, uh, and hopefully we will be encouraged. I will let you know right now that one of my challenges for you this week is going to be to go back and read the entirety of the letter one more time and to ask God through his Holy Spirit to reveal to you certain things that he is impressing upon you or maybe our our community. Read through the entirety of Romans and be ready. Is it next week or the week after? We have our testimony Sunday at the end of the month. We want to hear a little bit from you guys of how the book of Romans has challenged you and or encouraged you. So I'm giving you ample warning to be ready to share at the end of the month anywhere from Romans that you'd like of something that the Lord has stirred in you, laid upon your heart, challenged you, or that you really loved something along those lines. But it would be foolish sometimes when we engage in books of the Bible or as we teach through, we can treat them like a check mark when we get to the end and be like, awesome, done moving on. And I want to make sure that we just take almost like what Paul does here, (laughs) one more step back and make sure to, God, what do you want me to see before we move into the next piece? And I want to encourage you guys this week, as you engage with God and his word, spend some time throughout the week going through Romans one last time or one last time for now. All right, so we're in Romans 16, verses 17 through the end. And we're going to chunk this up in three sections because it is a, that's what it is. So chunked up three sections. Uh, So Paul starts coming back, greet each other with a holy kiss, and then, wait, I've got a couple things to remind you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Almost like another, like, is that the, is he going to pray now? Is that the end of the thing? Not quite. As he closes, and again, keeping in mind this incredible letter that's been written that has really important doctrine to help hold the church together, he comes back and he's like, and by the way, I've got to warn you, don't be deceived by false teachers. He comes at them with really familial language again. Brothers and sisters, this is not I am above you. This is it. We are in this together. Brothers and sisters. As this is winding down, watch out. Watch out for false teachers. Watch out. What does he want them to pay attention to? And he kind of identifies some areas in which it's common for people who might be false teachers, and one of that is that a sign, or a sign that they are divisive, 
that they are going to try and cause wedges between another brother and another sister or another sister and a sister or fill in the blank, that they, their desire is not to unite and sit under the God of peace, but their desire is actually to come in and drive a wedge, to come in and try and highlight why those people are different than you or why you're better than that person or this person is better than that person. Another sign that he highlights is that they don't actually serve our Lord Christ. One commentator says that they are slaves to themselves, not servants or slaves to Jesus. Meaning that they are going to be um, like somebody who gets up in front, somebody perhaps like me, who can talk smoothly. That doesn't happen all that often from my mouth. You will see. But they have an ability to wax eloquently, to convince people of certain ideas. They make things sound appealing. But they aren't folks who actually practice what they preach. What Paul's highlighting here is that they are not actually servants. And, and he means that in the most kind of literal of senses, not like a generic sense like, do you serve the Lord like publicly, but in like the interior of your life, they don't actually serve Jesus as king. They don't live in the reality that Jesus is king of the universe and king of their life. These are people, when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, are they actually following the ways of Jesus the answer is no. It's funny. Um, what is? Uh, I was doing some study over this, and uh, John Piper had the funniest. He, uh, he he said these false teachers that <laughs> that Paul is warning against are uh, they're horny gluttons, is what he called them. Uh, and I thought, whoa! <laughs> I feel like he's reading a little into it. I don't know where he's getting all of that. But the big thing is that there's this idea that these. False teachers, they're in it for themselves. They're feeding their own belly, their own desires. They're giving in to the desires of the flesh, not living alive through the Spirit. These people that Paul is warning against are also people who would almost certainly be preaching some form of a deviation from the gospel which has been laid out. <laughs> And the gospel that Paul is referring to is what the do in the doctrines that have been laid out through the first 11 chapters of this book. But in, early, in the early church, there was a beginning creed that they all ascribed to as followers of Jesus. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This, in essence, for Paul, is the most important, essential, fundamental belief that can never be wavered upon as followers of Jesus. Now, Paul would include within that, that's the beginning point, he would also include the bulk of what he has shared through the first 11 chapters of Romans as what he's calling them to hold on to, to cling to. He invites them to not be naive and really the first 11 chapters in particular in Romans help protect the church, this young church in Rome, from being naive. 
You might notice that in this warning that he's given, he also shares about their reputation for obedience. Notice this isn't, Paul's not terrified. Paul's not chastising them. He actually honors them. And he, he says, man, I, I praise God for your obedience. I haven't even been there, and I have heard stories about how obedient you guys are. And that is a good thing. I find it fascinating that simultaneously he's celebrating and rejoicing in their obedience and the reputation that's come, while also warning them about false teaching. Because you might, I don't know, maybe I think that if we're just obedient, like we won't give in to false teaching. And I just think it's important to hear from Paul the warning and the challenge here that there is an importance to stay vigilant. The other thing in this that Paul cares incredibly about is the testimony and the reputation of this church, and that's that they are obedient. And one of the things he's highlighting is that if you give in to false teaching, if you were to slide in this area because you are obedient, you will actually propagate this false teaching because of your obedience. And now you actually, in the long run, will have an opportunity to not paint a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but you will have an opportunity to paint a confusing picture. And so it's almost as though, hey, since you are obedient, since you are followers of Jesus, because these things are true in you, be on guard. Pay attention. Hold fast to the essential truths that have been laid out in this letter. And if we hold fast to what Paul has laid out in this letter, we will not be naive or easily persuaded by flattery or false teaching. I'm just going to run through a few that we've seen in Romans so far that I think, at least in my mind, stay as kind of some of those essentials that we must hold on to. The first is in the area of sin itself. In Romans 3.23, we learn that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 4, we learn that we are justified by faith in Jesus. In 4.22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteous, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Or Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And down a few verses later, because at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Or Romans 6, where we're reminded that we're dead to sin and alive in Christ, that we've been buried with Christ in baptism and we've been raised up, got caught back there, uh, to the newness of life. This call to not go on sinning so that grace may abound, but that we might continue to put to deed death the deeds of the flesh and step into the life in the spirit. Or Romans 8, where there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Where we no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Where we're heirs with Christ, brothers and sisters who have been adopted. Where Paul highlights that we will experience suffering. This invitation into the Christian life isn't one that is omitted, that where suffering is omitted, but there is suffering that takes place. In fact, you can expect it. But the beautiful promise in Romans 8 is that it does not have to be wasted because God works for the good of those whom he loves, whom he predestined, he called, and who he will transform 
to the image of his son. Or Romans 10, where Paul reminds that salvation is for all, for all nations, for all peoples. That if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. And in Romans 12, we have the marks of a true Christian. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Love one another, be fervent in the spirit, rejoice in hope, be patient when things are hard, be constant in prayer. These are just a a few of the nuggets that Paul is laying foundation for throughout the letter that he's inviting the church in Rome and us later to cling to, to grab hold of, so that we won't be naive when false teaching comes. You and I both know there are lots of people out there right now with lots of beautiful speech, with lots of wonderful theories of how things ought to work, uh, lots of people who are trying to gain your... your, clicks, your money, your any sort of influence that they can get over you, your vote, whatever it is, there are plenty of voices out there. And Paul's saying, don't be naive. In fact, he invites, in the midst of it, to trust. For the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the only time that Satan's mentioned in all of Romans. Uh, it's kind of fascinating that it, Paul talks about the works of the enemy a lot in Ephesians and other places, but in Romans itself, this is the only place where it's mentioned, and he doesn't give him very much mention. I actually love how he handles this. Because I feel like people, when it comes to Satan, you have two people. You have one person who believes that he doesn't exist. You have another people who believe Satan's behind every, Satan's like behind every single action. That Satan made me do it mentality. And though we do know that Satan is the prince of power of the air, we don't see that much power, at least attributed to Satan in this section of scripture. He doesn't tell believers to go toe to toe. He reminds them, yes, evil is still out there, but God and his peace have won and will win. This is our future. This is our even presence, our present, excuse me. (laughs) But I think it's important that Paul, as he's talking about these false teachers, he, he ends with, yeah, like this is a way that the father of lies, which is one of the ways that Satan works, is operating in this world, trying to spread lies to get people to believe something that's not true, trying to get people to believe a bunch of half-truths rather than the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul confidently lets them know they're never going to win. The false teachers are never going to win. Satan's never going to win. Why? Because Satan has been decisively defeated in the death and resurrection of Christ, according to second, or excuse me, Colossians 2, 14 and 15, that Christ canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Satan's been put to open shame in the resurrection of Jesus. 
there's might be helpful for us to understand that there's the, the enemy does have influence but will ultimately be fully crushed and defeated. Now as Paul is warning the church in Rome, I do think it's important for us to acknowledge a couple things. He's he never tells them to go and attack these false teachers. He never tells us to go hang them, string them up. What does he tell them to do? What does he tell them to do? Avoid them. I think that's fascinating. What do you mean avoid them? Don't, shouldn't we just go destroy them? Make them shut their mouths? Paul could say that. He doesn't say that. Why? It's not our job. And we can trust that the God of peace will soon crush Satan. Is it my job to avenge? No. He's calling the people of God to focus on being the people of God. That's why passages like Romans 12 in particular, I, I really, really, as I was, I was just reminded today, again, of how important it is. As followers of Jesus, would we focus on what we know <laughs> and trust God with what we don't? I promise you this is one of the biggest attacks on God's people throughout history is we cease to focus on what we know and we become obsessed in what we don't and we stop engaging with what we know. And what does it do? It takes us off track. Doesn't mean that what we know, don't know doesn't matter. We can't continue to pursue knowledge. But it's important that we don't let the unknown keep us away from living and stepping in to what we do know. So friends, be alert. Stay humble. Stay confident in Jesus. And I'd also encourage us to stay simple. Meaning, engage with what we know and actually obey it. Okay. So, Paul gives another kind of false close there at the end. He reminds us that the grace of Jesus will be with us in the process of this interesting time that we're in. And then he comes and he's got a couple more greetings. Oh, and by the way, uh, and these greetings are a little bit different because he's now greeting people on behalf of other people, which is really fun. So verses uh, 21 through 23, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipatar, uh, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, uh, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Anything in particular, in that section, like just jump out at you as like, oh, that's a little odd, or maybe I didn't see that before. Anybody? Yeah, isn't that fascinating? We'll talk about that in a second. Anything else? I mean, that's the main one that I saw that I was like, oh, I forget stuff like this all the time. 
So remember last week when Eric was reminding us that ministry for everyone, everyone for ministry. He wasn't, I love what we see here. Paul isn't just, he's, he's also exemplifying what real teachers do. So in the previous section, he kind of was highlighting all of this cool stuff that was happening in Rome, and he was celebrating that stuff out there. All of these different amazing pieces that were in play and that were happening. And now he's bringing people who are a part of his own community, and they're actually putting into practice everyone for ministry, ministry for everyone. So we've got, we've got Timothy, Lucius, Jason, and Sosipeter. That's the thing with these names. You can just emphasize whatever part you want. But these are dear laborers. These are friends. These are co-laborers. These are people who are in the trenches. Really, the only one that we know a whole lot about in this section of people who are greeting the church in Rome is Timothy. As one of Paul's dearest friends. But these people who are laboring, how exactly are they laboring? We don't know the exact details of what they're doing. We know that they're carrying the gospel. We know, especially through Timothy, that they're willing to be sent out and to go help equip and raise up and build up the church. But they're co-laborers with Paul. And Paul highlights them. And allows them to share their greeting and pass it along to the church in Rome. Then we have this odd section, I, Tereteus, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. This is extremely odd. In any ancient text, as some, it's very, so what's not odd is it's incredibly common to have a scribe or somebody write down the things that you're saying. This is very common in the first century for this to be done. What's odd is for the scribe or the person writing to jump into the first person and now in his own pen say, I greet you. Now, I don't know for sure. I'm taking some license here. But I'm guessing there's not too many people in Rome who know Tertius. He probably doesn't have like an incredible, I don't know about the reputation that's gone before him. But oftentimes, people who were scribes, some of them were even slaves. Who really wants to hear from Tertius in this moment? Kind of in some way, it's almost like, or Tertius, there you go. Fine. But the reality is, like, I don't know how many people want to hear it from, right? I don't, like, half of you probably were like, I didn't even know that verse was in the Bible. We'll come back to it in just a second. Then we have Gaius, who's, like, just been this guy who, he's, all that he's known for is being a host. He opens up his home. He shows hospitality. This is also kind of dangerous because I feel like this is a letter to all of the people in Rome that, hey, if you're ever in Corinth, come by my house. You can stay with me because this is what he's known for. He's known for opening up his home to anybody. It's fascinating because under the edict from Claudius where all the Jews were kicked out, I'm curious if there were a handful of folks that are a part of the Roman church now who actually came and stayed with him in Corinth when they were kicked out of Rome. It's quite possible. So this, this could be actually like a really neat familial voice as Gaius shares his welcome, as he shares his greeting. 
one of the things we see from him is we see this picture of a gratefulness for the broader church. This is pretty rare at this, at, in this type of language at this point in the church's history. You see that this, this movement of Jesus' followers is spreading. And people are excited. And it's filled with danger and turmoil and strife, but there's also this beautiful thing that's taking place, and that's that people, both near and far, are coming to know Jesus. Their lives are changing, and the world is changing. Then we have Erastus, the treasurer. He's a rich guy from Corinth who's involved um, in the social life of Corinth. He's involved in the governmental affairs. He sends his greeting. And then Cordus, honestly, we don't really know anything about Cordus. <laughs> he's, he, he's there. Uh, he, he's friends with Paul. He's our brother, and he greets you too. So you're like, all right, why are you sharing all about this? And I, I love that Paul doesn't just preach. Paul practices what he says. Paul practices what it means to be a part of a community. Oftentimes we view Paul as this lone wolf. That is not Paul. Paul's known by people. He engaged with community. He engages with people. He empowers people. He lets other people serve and minister because he believes everyone for ministry and ministry for everyone. And here in this moment, as this insane letter that will be read throughout church history for the rest of time, he is outdoing one another and showing honor to these people by not just sharing their names, but applauding the work that they are doing. And guess what? It's all different types of work. It's not just what Paul is doing. You know, he acknowledges people who are young like Timothy. Guy who had been rather wealthy and had a reputation like Erastus. A guy like Gaius who would have had to have finances to be the type of host that he was. And he's celebrating the diversity, the equity and equality that exists in the first century under the king, rule and reign of the kingdom of God. Jesus. And I think it's absolutely beautiful. This last little section, Romans 16, is such a beautiful picture of Paul not just being a mouthpiece, but also being an example as one who practices what he preaches. Everyone for ministry, ministry for everyone. Now to the doxology, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a beautiful doxology, but it's honestly a mouthful and uh, most common, this is like a giant headache for scholars. Uh, in essence, what it kind of, I'm going to use words for them, but it's kind of like Paul verbally vomiting, <laughs> like, just like sharing all of these amazing, awesome things about God in like, just like, here it is on the last paragraph, uh, sort of. 
because there's so many different mixed metaphors and mixed statements. And ultimately what he is saying, it's not that what he says is wrong, but the way in which he's writing it and the grammar and all of it, it, it is, most commentators will just say like, it's a mess. And that's okay. Because ultimately what he's doing, he's bringing them back to what he's been saying all along, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who all creation longs for. This isn't a new addition to the story of God. He has been God's plan from the beginning. That's what he was talking about as he talked about being revealed through the prophets. That you Romans and Scythians, barbarians, Americans, Eastern, Amer- Eastern Europeans, South Americans, Chinese Americans, African, African American, y'all have received this message because of Jesus. What Paul is doing here is he's continuing to bring people back to the centrality and beauty of Jesus. Now because of this, this exciting thing called the church is exploding. Because of Jesus, the gospel has now been revealed and is preached and is available to all. And so we give glory to God for he alone is God and there is no other. He alone is wise and there is no other one that is wise beside him. He alone will keep you, no one else can, and he will strengthen you now and into eternity. Because he is these things, and we believe this to be true about God, There is this invitation and encouragement from Paul to grow in our obedience through faith, to be strengthened by the gospel. And that Jesus himself is the one that can do it. Again, I love this. This, The church in Rome is doing well. They're obedient. They have this reputation. And Paul's encouragement is to continue to be strengthened, to know that we need to be strengthened and that we will grow in our obedience that comes from faith. That what we believe and how we live would become closer and closer aligned together. Be strengthened by the gospel, by the reality that we've been justified, that Jesus has beaten death, that we are now at peace with God, that we're now brothers and sisters, that we now have confidence that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Be strengthened by the gospel so that we too can echo what Paul said from the beginning. Worship team, you can come on up. For he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Jesus, we ask that you would help us to live bright lives through faith. Jesus, we ask that you would help us to take your word seriously, to grow in obedience. But we ask that you would strengthen us by your gospel, through your spirit, 
to be the people of God who you've called us to be, to be the church that you've called us to be here in Ventura County. Thank you for this incredible book. And we pray that as we continue, Lord, that you would be with us. Pray over this upcoming week as we're gonna engage with your word. God, we pray that your spirit would illuminate, would reveal, convict, encourage. And that we wouldn't just move on from the book of Romans like a check mark. But as you've called us in Romans 12, 1, that we would constantly be renewed, that our minds would be renewed, and that you would shape us more and more into the image of your son. So Lord, we thank you for this morning. We ask you to continue to be with us as we respond now in worship. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.